thank you for downloading this podcast from Pardes, North America. This episode of Pardes from Jerusalem features Yiska Smith on Parashat Vayigash. To get the latest episode of Pardes from Jerusalem, please visit elmod.pardes.org. And now, here is Yiska Smith. Shalom lekulam, berachot habaot, berachim habaim. In this sharing, I will be exploring Yosef's legacy to every Jew, actually to the world. Forgiveness, slicha, mechila, nosei pesha. We read in the pasuk in the beginning of this parashat of Yigash. Then Yehuda approached him and said, If you please, my Lord, please allow your servant to speak a few words in the ears of my Lord, and do not be angry at your servant. Vayigash elav Yehuda v'yomer, Be Adoni, yedeber na avdecha, dava ba'aznei Adoni, this is in Bereshit Memdalad Yudchet, Genesis forty four eighteen. Concerning this verse, the second Rimanover Rebbe, Rav Tzvi Hirsch Hakohen of Rimanov, who lived from seventeen seventy eight through eighteen forty six interpreted the opening passage of Parshatvi Yigash as Yehuda's deep heartfelt prayer beseeching the divine at the moment when he thought that he was at the very end of his life in this world and actually in the next, when after all his many tragic mistakes and failures, he thought that his entire existence was about to end, Yehuda realized that while the divine seemed quite hidden, hidden, she was actually present in all his life events, including his tragic failures. Though in the text we read that Yehuda approached Yosef to speak with him, the, the Hasidic masters teach us that Yehuda was simultaneously speaking with Hashem. He said, Be Adoni, instead of please my Lord. He's speaking to God. Be inside Adoni is my master. You, my master, are within me. The word be means also in me. You, my master, are within me. He's talking to God, the divine, the holy one, the HaKadosh Baruch Hu. When I was born, my mother named me Yehuda. She was the first person to give her child a name to openly express her joyous praise and gratitude to you, Hashem, to you, my creator. But now here I am, just about to lose it all, just about to totally fail in fulfilling your purpose and your will in bringing me into this world. Oh, 
Has anyone ever reached that spiritual low place? I have, and I would imagine most of you who are listening at times may have. Yet, Yehuda is saying as he's approaching and talking to both at the same time, both God and Yosef, I cannot give up. I will not give up. I plead that you listen to my words, that they will arouse your compassion. I am pleading not only on my behalf, but I am praying for the fulfillment of your dream, God. When the Egyptian man asked us if we have a father, not knowing, of course, it was Yosef, if we have a brother, we realized that it was you who was asking us. You who was asking us if we are living in love and unity and if we sense your presence. At this point, it's recounted that the women over Rebbe's tears poured down his face and he cried like a little child as he read Yehuda's words to Hashem. We said to my master, we have an old father, Yishlanu Avzakain, and we have a little brother who was born to his father in his old age. V'yeled zikunim katan. And his brother is dead. V'echav met. Bereshit 44.20 I fully admit the sad truth, says Yehuda, according to the Rimanova's understanding and Perush. We did love you very much, and we had loved each other, but our love grew old. Did we sense your presence when we sold our brother into slavery? For all we know, he may not even be alive at this point. You know the truth. For your sake, I will not give up on your dream, no matter how many mistakes I have made. So there we have Yehuda's plea to Hashem and to Yosef, vacillating back and forth. Adoni, my Lord, lowercase l, and then, of course, uppercase l. Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs, Zichrono Levracha, provides his understanding of how Yosef responded to Yehuda's plea, a plea of teshuva, a plea of repentance, a plea of regret that includes the admission of guilt, his confession, and behavioral change. Rabbi Sachs teaches as follows, there are moments that change that change the world. There is such a transformative moment in this week's parsha, Parshat Vayigash. It happened when Yosef finally revealed his identity to his brothers. While they were silent and in a state of shock, he went on to say these words. Bereshit 45, verses 4 through 8. I am your brother Yosef, whom you sold into Egypt, and now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years there will be no plowing and no reaping. But God sent me ahead of you, 
to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save lives, to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. Lo ata shilachtem oti hena ki ha'elohim. This, according to Rav Sachs, as he teaches, is the first recorded moment in history, not only in the Jewish tradition, in which human being forgives, one human being forgives another. Although Avraham too forgave Avimelech, of course much earlier, yet that was not the forgiveness that follows proper teshuvah, repentance, as we see here with Yehuda's plea. And while some Midrashic sources believe that God had forgiven before this, according to the plain pshat, the plain sense of the text, he did not. Forgiveness is conspicuously lacking as an element in the stories of Adam and Chava, of Cain, the flood, the Mabul, the Tower of Babel. Even when Avraham prayed his audacious prayer for the people of Sodom and the cities of the plain, he did not ask God to forgive them. His argument was about justice, mishpat, not slicha. Perhaps there were innocent people and it would be unjust for them to die. Their merit should therefore save the others, says Avraham. This is quite different from asking God to forgive. Yosef forgives. Yet the Torah hints that the brothers did not fully appreciate the significance of his words. After all, he did not explicitly use the word forgive. He told them not to be distressed. He said, it was not you, but God. Lo atem shalachtem otihena. He told them that their act had resulted in a positive outcome, but all of this was theoretically, theoretically compatible with holding them guilty and deserving of punishment. That is why the Torah recounts a second event years later after Yaakov had passed. The brothers sought a meeting with Yosef, fearing that he would now take revenge now that Yaakov has passed. They concocted a story. They made it up. In Bereshit 50, verses 16 through 18, they sent word to Yosef saying, your father left these instructions before he died, which he never did. But this is what they said, out of their own brokenness, out of their own insecurity, out of their own not really believing Yosef. This is what you are to say to Yosef. I ask you to forgive. Na, sa, pesha. Sa, pesha. That means to forgive. I ask you to forgive your brothers for the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please, sa, pesha. Forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Yehuda wept. He wept. The brothers used the actual word forgive. This is the first time it appears explicitly in the Torah. 
This is towards the very end of Bereshit, of the book of Genesis. We see for the first time the actual word forgive. More of a biblical way of saying forgiveness. However, forgive, forgiveness. They were unsure about Yosef's earlier words when he first revealed himself to them. Did Yosef actually meant he forgave them when he revealed himself to them earlier? Does someone really forgive those who sold him into slavery? Is it possible? Yosef weeps. Again, he weeps. Yosef weeps a lot. Now he's weeping. He weeps that his brothers did not originally understand that forgiveness is precisely what he meant. Yosef weeps that his brothers had not fully understood that he had forgiven them long ago. He no longer felt ill will towards them. He had no anger, no lingering resentment, no desire for revenge. He had conquered his emotions and reframed his understanding of the events. Rabbi Sachs teaches us something that many of us may not even be aware how profound this incident was of Yosef. This is his legacy to every Jew, to every human being, the concept of forgiveness. It does not appear in every culture. It is not a human, universal virtue, nor is it a biological imperative. We know this from a fascinating study by an American classics professor, David Constant, who wrote, Before Forgiveness, the Origins of a Moral Idea, published in 2010. In it, he argues that there was no concept of forgiveness in the literature of the ancient Greeks. There was something else often mistaken for forgiveness. There is appeasement of anger. When someone does harm to someone else, the victim is angry and seeks revenge. This is clearly dangerous for the perpetrator. And he or she may try to get the victim to calm down, to move on. They may make excuses. It wasn't me. It was someone else. Or it was me, but I couldn't help it. Almost like now the victim has to forgive the perpetrator. I'm sure you've, many of you have heard that scenario. Or it was me, but it was a small wrong, and I have done you much good in the past. So on balance, really, you should let it pass. Yes, I'm sure many of us, if not all of us, are familiar with that. Alternatively, or in conjunction with these other strategies, the perpetrator may beg, plead, and perform some ritual of abasement or humiliation. This is a way of saying to the victim, I am not really a threat. The Greek word sugnom, sometimes translated as forgiveness, really means, says Constan, exculpation or absolution. It is not that I forgive you for what you did, but that I understand why you did it. You could not really help it. You were caught up in the circumstances beyond your control. And that may be the truth. 
Or, alternatively, I do not need to take revenge, because you now have shown by your deference to me that you hold me in proper respect. My dignity has been restored. Constant argues, though, that first, the very first appearance of forgiveness is in the Hebrew Bible in Al-Tanakh, and he cites this very case of Yosef. What he does not make clear is why Yosef forgives. The answer is that within Judaism, a new form of morality was born. Rabbi Sachs teaches us that Judaism is primarily an ethic of guilt as opposed to many other systems which are ethics of shame. One of the fundamental differences between them is that shame attaches to the person. Guilt attaches to the act. In shame cultures, when a person does wrong, he or she is, as it were, stained, marked, defiled. In guilt cultures, what is wrong is not the doer, but the deed. Not the sinner, but the sin. The person retains his or her fundamental worth. As we say in the morning, you know, to Philot, the soul you gave me is pure. It's pure. Nothing I can do can change that. It is the act that has somehow to, needs to be put right. That is why in guilt cultures there are processes of repentance, atonement, and then forgiveness. There is nothing accidental about Yosef's behavior. In fact, the whole sequence of events from the moment the brothers appear before him in Egypt for the first time to the moment when he announces his identity and forgives them is an immensely detailed account of what it is to earn forgiveness. It is a textbook case of putting the brothers through a course in atonement. Kapora, like Yom HaKippur, the first in literature. Yosef is thus teaching them, and the Torah is teaching us, what, it is, what does it mean to earn forgiveness? So when someone forgives us, it has meaning. Now Yosef can forgive because his brothers, led by Yehuda, have gone through all three stages of repentance. Admission of guilt, confession, and behavioral change. Forgiveness only exists in a culture in which repentance exists. Repentance presupposes that we are free and morally responsible agents who are capable of change. Oh, that is so important. We are capable of change, specifically the change that comes about when we recognize that something we have done is wrong and we are responsible for it and we must never do it again. The possibility of that kind of moral transformation simply did not previously exist. Forgiveness is not just one idea among many. It transformed the human situation. For the first time, it established the possibility that we are not condemned endlessly to repeat the past. 
as we see with Yehuda. When I repent, I show I can change. The future is not predestined. I can make it different from what it might have been. And when I forgive, when I forgive, I show that my action is not mere reaction. Rather, it's a response. It's not a reaction the way revenge would be. Forgiveness liberates us from the past. Forgiveness breaks the irreversibility of reaction and change. It is the undoing of what has been done. And Rabbi Sachs <clears throat> brings up that this is a point made by Hannah Arendt in The Human Condition. He concludes by saying, Humanity changed the day Yosef forgave his brothers. When we forgive and are worthy of being forgiven, we are no longer prisoners of our past. Oh, I would like to just suggest and add, in light of this deep, profound Torah, if there is ever an appropriate time to take the initiative to forgive, even before it is sought, it is now. Kain Hiratzon. Toda, toda, shalom ulehitraot. Thank you again for downloading this podcast, a production of Pardes North America. If you liked what you just heard, please give us a five star review wherever you download your podcasts. Follow us on Spotify for the latest episode of Pardes from Jerusalem or visit elmod.pardes.org. Please tune in next week as Tova Leah Nachmani discusses Parashat Vayechi. Thanks for listening.